Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. Tonight we're talking about spiritual warfare. Dun, dun, dun. How many of you know what spiritual warfare is? How many of you know by personal experience what spiritual warfare is? Yeah, boy, it can be, it can run tight, right? That's for sure. Yeah, well, our text is found in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, that's right before 2nd and 3rd John, and towards the end of the book, right before Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. God wants to use you. He wants to bring you to freedom. He wants to use you as a billboard of grace and power. So knowing that then kind of gives you an understanding of what we're looking at today. This, uh, the, these three sermons that I'm going to preach to you tonight, no, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of material here. So, I just encourage you to get your phone out, take a snapshot of the scripture verses or whatever, and just kind of listen. Or you can write them along if you're a fast writer. I don't, I'm not, I don't talk that fast, so uh, where I get the slower I talk. So anyway, so we're in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them, and they cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother or their sister. So I called this, originally I called this message, uh, what is he doing here? And so my, uh, my imagination, in my imagination, I imagined that I walked down into my living room, and in my living room, I, when I got there, I, I found my old boss in my living room. And I thought, well, it was like a weird dream, you know. It's like, there's my old boss there. And I, my immediate response to the old boss was, what is he doing there? Right? 
And it's in a kind of appropriate way for us to evaluate this thing. Then I changed the name of the sermon to Satan's To-Do List. And you'd be surprised how much Satan has to do. And we're going to go through some of it. I don't want to spend a long time on all the things that he has to do because uh, it's just there's just so much. So go ahead, throw that next thing up. He has a lot of schemes that he's working on. And uh, that's not a full list. That's just how many I could fit on one slide. And so I, let's just talk about him for a second. Uh, he comes to tempt us. And so we as believers are supposed to be very careful to not allow ourselves into temptation. In, in the Scripture that I put up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, he's speaking to married couples and he says uh, to these married couples, don't be not having sex. Come on, I should have got an amen right there. Don't be not having sex because the devil will use that. Now, what was happening is the Corinthians were, were abstaining from sexual relations in a way like they were fasting. And so Paul says, don't do that for very long because the enemy will come in and tempt you because he's, that's what he does. Now, there's lots of other ways that the enemy tempts you, but it's just, a, well, just an interesting way to, to recognize what the enemy does. Now, we understand what the Scripture says in James, that temptation comes from within us, right? Each man is, uh, is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lusts. The thing that's on the inside of you, if you don't like Oreo cookies, I could have a, this whole table piled this deep with Oreo cookies and tell you they're free for the taking, but if you don't like them, you're not coming up here to get them. However, if you happen to have just come out of an Oreo cookie addiction, you would, you would be running down the aisle and filling your pockets with these Oreo cookies because it's the desire from the inside. Doesn't an Oreo and a big glass of milk sound wonderful on this evening? Anyway, so maybe five Oreos and a big glass of milk. Anyway, so yeah, my problem with Oreos and big glasses of milk is usually the big glass of milk is too big. And so then I have to have, uh, I have, to have more Oreos. Because, right? Isn't that the way it works? you got to have a certain, you know, the Oreos have to match the milk. And then if you get too many Oreos, then you need more milk. And then, anyway, it's a, it's a hard thing. It's, and I'm not sure that has anything to do with the devil. It has more to do with me. I, so when the enemy, the enemy is tempting you, he's throwing something out to, towards you that is something that you like. If you like to jib a lot, you like to talk a lot, then he may tempt you with gossip. Put a juicy morsel in your in your wheelhouse so that you have it to share to somebody else. You get, let you be aware of something on the down low that no one else knows. And that tempting, mor tempting, tempting morsel on the inside of you, you want to share because he knows that's what you like to do. You like to talk. So, so he uses what's attractive to the inside of you. So temptation is one of the things he does. The scripture tells us that one of the schemes he has is to rob, kill, and destroy and John 10.10, 10. robbing the enemy, or the enemy robbing you, rather, is, is him taking you away from your spiritual home. Taking you away from where you're supposed to be living in the Spirit. And so he, is, he, he brings you to that place where you are, you, you are away from what is yours. It's in the context of a wolf and sheep. And so he, you know, the, the wolf will will try to get the sheep away from the pen. 
with the way the shepherds did in those days, they would pile thorn bushes up in a circle around the, the flock, and then they would make a gate. And as the shepherd, they would sleep in the gate. So nothing came in or out without going through the shepherd. That's how they, that's how they kept their sheep. And so Jesus, in the context of talking about the good shepherd does this, and you know, he's, he's explaining that to us, the wolf in sheep clothing does this, and he comes in. That, he, he says, that, that wolf comes in to rob, kill, and destroy. And that's a progressive thing to get you away from where you are spiritually supposed to be and to then to, to, uh, to kill you, to take away your spiritual life, and then to destroy, to wreck whatever's left of your life. And we see that. I mean, we, we were just talking the other day uh, on the staff about somebody who who we saw the progression of their life moving in that direction, and now their life is just wasted, right? And I got a weird, I don't know. You hear it? Come, come in, Dr. Spock. I don't know where, kind of sp- spacey little thing. I don't know what it is. Anyway, uh, uh, the other thing he does is he accuses the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 tells us about he brings accusation. In fact, he's constantly yelling discouraging things, defeating things, lies into your mind. He's, he's, he's a big talker, and he, he brings fear into your life. The first thing that you think of when, something, when somebody is stepping out is the worst thing always, right? And so uh, to accuse, the, he, the accuser of the brethren accuses us as if we are missing God's purpose and plan, and, and so he, he, he does that to, to mess with us. Uh, he, he also does, is out there to devour. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So there, there's this, this concept that he's out there looking to swallow us up. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, I won't read all these, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about those who have been taken captive by the enemy through false teaching. And so false teaching will, will, will bring people away. This is a work of the devil. Uh, he warns uh, the, the, the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 27, that they should not give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. And and he says that in the context of falling back into their old ways. And every time you go back into that old way, you, you create a way for the enemy to climb over the fence into your life. And you give him a foothold, a way to, to get in there. Um, in Luke chapter 13, we, we read that the enemy has kept this woman bound in sin. And he's made her ill. And so one of the things the enemy is trying to do is to uh, make people sick. Now, not every sickness is of the devil, but some of them are. And Jesus handles uh, sicknesses in specific way. Jesus walked over to Peter's mother-in-law and rebuked her. How many of you wanted to rebuke your mother-in-law? No. Uh, he, he rebuked the fever in her, actually. And immediately she was healed, and she got up, and she started serving all the rest of the disciples in there. And so, so we see that Jesus handles some specific diseases in a way as if they were from the enemy himself. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the enemy's job in that, on his to-do list is to hinder the gospel so that Paul can't go in, into that place and can't minister the gospel there. And so wherever the gospel ministry is, Wayne, when you go to the, 
to the jail. I'm sure the enemy is right there trying to hinder everything that you're doing. The batteries will run out on your, your stuff and you, know, you won't be able to use a megaphone or whatever it is you're using. And so that stuff always happens. Somebody, uh, when, when Seth first came on, Pastor Seth first came on staff here, he said, well, you know, I'll just wait until Sunday morning and then I'll put all the words to the songs in. And I said, uh, that's a bad idea. And he, I, he said, well, why? I, you know, I, that's, I, that's, I have time to do that. So, because the devil. That's why. Because I, the devil lives in our electronic equipment here at Christian Life Center. And so why give him an opportunity? If you could do it the day before, why not do it the day before or a week before or whenever? And why, why, not, put that, why not take advantage of that instead of waiting until the last minute? But he didn't listen to me. He still puts him in on Sunday morning. But the idea is that, that, that there is uh, there's opportunity to hinder the gospel just by having you know, the heat go out or the heat turn on right in the middle of service and stink up the whole uh, sanctuary or whatever. You know, thank God for the heat. So uh, all, all that stuff that, that, that he does to try to hinder the gospel, you know. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it says that his, on his to-do list is to uh, deceive that he will try to deceive even the, even the believers at the end. He will seek to dis, dis, he will send the antichrist. He will send a false messiah, someone that does false miracles with the specific purpose to deceive you, and he will he will use that to try to uh, trip you up. He will uh, give you. Uh, he will allow you to slip into the ignorance of the devil's schemes, and so that you easily become outwitted by your enemy. When you, when you don't know what he's up to, uh, you know, that's, why, that's why football players study the tape. They watch the films because when they're watching the films, they know this is what my enemy is going to do. You know? So they know how to, to, to defeat that because they, they get to that place. So that's a lot of stuff for the enemy to do, right? I mean, and that's only, that's only a partial list there of all the things that the enemy is busy doing. Remember, we go back to our verse in second, or 1 John chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Right? To destroy the devil's work. So, so let's talk about Jesus' destructive work. According to the words of Jesus, Satan is the prince of this world. He is the uh, prince of the power of the air. He is the enemy. He is the god of this world. He is a murderer. He is the father of lies. Jesus said, called a lot of names to, to the enemy, right? Um, so how did Jesus defeat and destroy the work of the devil? Well, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, um, he, gave the, uh, he gave us an example. Acts 10, 38 is a great scripture verse worthy of underlining in every Bible everywhere. It says this, you know that what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. So Jesus gave us the, this example of someone who walked around, and because God was with him, he was able to do miraculous uh, works and he was able to do these miraculous things and 
Now, this is not talking about the crucifixion of Jesus specifically. It's talking about the example of Jesus' living. But even in that example of Jesus' living, he's destroying the works of the devil. And so he's bringing these works in, trying to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is, Jesus is by his, his very nature, is living out this spirit-filled life where he can, he can be an example for us. And I say that because, it's that, as we sang in that one song, it's that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in us. So that same Holy Spirit that's on the inside of us is the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus. And so Jesus becomes an example for us. And then, of course, the cross is where Jesus ultimately does all his work against the, the enemy. If you have uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, uh, you, can, you can read that. Anybody have that there? Turn that there. Just a coincidence that we're talking about the devil right now. Yes, please, nice and loud. Jesus goes to the cross, and with him to the cross go your sins. Amen? Past sins, future sins. Hallelujah. All your sins go with... So that means the only grip that the enemy has on your soul is your sins. And so Jesus takes your sins and nails them to the cross. And in so doing, the scripture says, he disarmed the devil... And the demons. I'm so freaked out by this. That's why so he disarmed the devil. So the, 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 the devil has had all his swords knocked out of his head. You know, there's that's always that scene. I watch the show Vikings. Anybody else watch the show Vikings? Yeah. And so anything where people are being killed and maimed, I like to watch those things. So anyway, so there's always a scene where they're they're sword fighting and shields, you know, and some shield maiden and some other shield maiden are fighting, you know, and they're swinging their swords and they're back and forth. And there's always that one moment when they tie up the swords, right? And then somebody does one of these things like that and then flips the sword off to the side, right? Right? There's always, it's all in every sword fight, somebody loses their sword, right? And then they dive to the ground to try to grab their sword and then he steps his foot always on the wrist, Always to stop them from getting the sword and threatens to kill them, but something else happens and turns the whole thing around. Always the way. And that's, that's basically what the cross did to the enemy. The enemy was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, had, was fully armed against us, but because of the cross, your sins are forgiven. Well, we, we, we take that way too, too for granted. You know, we don't understand that the enemy had his finger in your pocket. He was holding on to everything that, 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 that you were. And because of that, uh, because of the forgiveness of sins, you're set free. But not only that, now the enemy has no armament to come against you with. He's been disarmed. You believe that? I believe that. I believe, I believe he has no, no right to, to be in my life and he has no armament to come against me. I don't, it's not always my experience, 
but it's, it's the truth of the Scripture. How many of you know there's a difference between what the Scripture says and what our reality is? And when that happens, we have to take a stand on what the Scripture says, not on what we feel, but not what we experience, but take a stand on the truth of the Scripture. Because just because somebody shouldn't be standing on your lawn doesn't mean they're not going to be standing on your lawn, right? One, one time we were threatened. I'll, I'll tell you this story just so you're afraid of me. Uh, I, I, when my daughter was uh, in high school, I think she was a sophomore. Um, we were we were we had a tenant that we had to put out, and so the tenant was mad, and uh, they had stolen some things from us, and so and it was it was a it was a righteous thing that we did. But anyway, uh, she said she was she was, had some gangbanger friends, and she told told us that she was going to come back and have her gangbanger friends uh, mess up our house, you know. And I only, only had one house, so I, I wanted to make sure that my house was okay. So, um, uh, so I sat up in the living room at, late at night. What happened is my wife said, hey, a car just rolled up today and took a picture of our home. And that freaked me out. You know, that made me freaked out like they were going to give the picture and say, this picture is for of the house that we want you to mess out. So I stayed up a couple nights, late at night, as late as I could stay. Now in those days, my hair was really long, and I was young and swift of foot. And uh, so I was sitting in the, in the I had the, the, the window open about this much, and I'm just sitting there minding my own business, thinking, maybe reading my Bible, I don't know, I was doing something. And I hear a car pull up in front of the house. And I hear, I see a bunch of guys get out of their car. No lights on the, on the car. And I hear him say, this is the house. And so I thought, I won't shoot them with my deer rifle. But I walked over to the door, and there next to the door was a chain that we used to put the dog out in the yard with. So I got grabbed that chain. Now, it was maybe 11.30, quarter to 12. I, I, my hair was all long and kind of wild looking at that time of the night. I looked pretty crazy. And uh, so I opened up, quietly opened up the inside door, came down the stairs to the outside door, and then opened up the door to our two flat. And here's these guys, uh, all dressed in black, coming right up to my house. And I come out screaming with this chain. And these guys turn and run to their car. And as long as they're running, I'm chasing. So I'm chasing them all the way to their car. And they all pile into their car. And I couldn't get them with the chain, but I was swinging pretty good. And I swung the chain over at the back window, but the car just took off. And I hit the deck lid with the chain. Um, So the next night was prom night. Homecoming, and so my uh, my daughter's friends came over, and they were all like, "Hi, Mr. Schimberg," and they're looking down like this. And then they're they're like, "Why?" My daughter says, "Why are you guys acting so weird by my dad?" Because your dad's a maniac. <laughs> and they're like, "Why? What happened?" Well, we were just going to toilet paper your house. So it was the Morton football team. 
not the gangbang, but it just so lined up in my life at the right time. So I said to them, I said, no wonder you guys always lose their, their games, man. I'm chasing you. One guy with a chain, you all run like cowards, you know, and jump in the car. Anyway, now, why did I tell that story? I don't know. No, I wasn't talking about chasing the devil. Anyway, anyway, anyway so disarmed. Anyway, he disarmed the enemy. Huh? Is that where I was? Yeah, you, somebody needs to keep their finger in their Bible because somebody got to pay attention. Okay, so, so then they disarmed the devil, right? And the third thing that happens there, he humiliated and made a public spectacle out of, out of the enemy. So now the, the picture of the work of the cross is that not only does Jesus forgive your sins, not only does he disarm the enemy, you can look at it, it's a good scripture to study, but not only has he disarmed the enemy, now every day that you walk free, you are publicly humiliating the enemy. Hmm, no wonder he wants to get you back into what you got delivered from. Because he wants you to go back into that because you are publicly humiliating him everywhere you go simply by living free in Jesus Christ. As much as your testimony is is a blessing to other people, it's a humiliating curse to the enemy. You represent everything. That's why the the enemy is trying to seek to devour you. You see that in Revelation chapter 12, and that verse was just for free. Uh, He gives us, the third thing he does to destroy the work of the devil is that he equips all his followers with the authority of Jesus Christ. So every believer has this authority. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10. Uh, He says to the 72 when he sends them out, not just the 12, but he says it to the 72 as he sends them out, uh, uh, when they return with joy and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus says, don't lose perspective. You're saved. Most important thing is that you're saved. But recognize you have authority and the demons will submit to you. You have to recognize that every believer has that. And so, so, so Jesus, by his example, shows us how to live. By the cross, he defeats, disarms, and humiliates the enemy. By, uh, by this, this uh, authority that he's given to us, he equips us to go out and start taking down the kingdom of, he- of hell wherever we go and we walk out there in our life. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, one of my favorite verses, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So there's this insulation. So not only do you have authority, but you have insulation from the, the, uh, the enemy and all that stuff. And then also there's this promise of a future crushing in Romans 16, 19, where Jesus says, uh, be excellent at, at uh, what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I was uh, praying today, and I was just praying over that verse, just kind of not really, hadn't really ever thought about this, but I thought about, uh, all of a sudden it just kind of came to me as I was praying, that the, the original uh, gospel, you know where the first place the gospel is mentioned in the scripture? Anybody? No? It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. I think it's verse 15. When, when after Adam fall, Adam and Eve fall, 
God says to Satan that he will be, he will uh, bruise his head, right? He will crush his head, right? He crushes his head. So then this, then the, I was kind of layered that scripture with this Romans 16, 19. And then when I got to, in my prayer time, it was like God was saying, you see, his head will be crushed completely underneath your feet because we are the body of Christ. So we become the ones that crush Satan's head. And, and Paul was looking, when he was writing to the Romans, he was looking forward to that moment when they were going to crush the, the, the powers of the enemy. And uh, so to me, that's very encouraging. So you know, those different ways are the way that Jesus destroyed the work of the enemy. And that's why he came. That's the sum total of the, not to teach us how to just all get along. That's, you've, you've dumbed down Jesus, so not to teach us how to love. I mean, he did do that. But it's not love if you only love and you don't tell people the truth. He taught us how to do warfare. It's about spiritual warfare, what we're doing. When something's going wrong, we have to recognize who our enemy is. It's so easy to be ticked off at other human beings when the, the Word tells us that the enemy that we're fighting is the one that's a spiritual enemy, and that's who we need to focus on. The weapons that we fight with are powerful through God, right? So how do we handle the devil? So I didn't even think I was going to make it this far, but I did. Okay, how do we handle the devil? Well, uh, you know, right away we're warned that we should do spiritual warfare. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says to, to do the spiritual warfare that we do with spiritual power and be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, right? The spiritual power that God puts on the inside of us has to be increased. We have to keep ourselves strong. One of the ways we do that is that we are sober and watchful. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The verse is already up there. That, that verse says, be, strong, be sober and watchful because your enemy is try, seeking whom he may devour. He's like a lion out there walking around outside there. So you have to be aware. If you're not aware, then you'll never understand the spiritual realm around you. And then another passage of Scripture tells us that we should, in James chapter 4, I think it is, tells us that we should submit ourselves therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how we handle the enemy of our soul is making ourselves aware and then submitting ourselves to God and then resisting the enemy. And then we have to be prayerful, of course. Prayer, the word, uh, the, the spirit of God, all those things are, are, are that which builds strength on the inside of us. Uh, fourthly, we have to confront the, those powers of the enemy. And I want to park a little bit on this. We have to confront the powers of the enemy, the principalities and the powers, the things that we are doing warfare against. We have to confront those. So, interestingly, I was reading on the internet, where, where all the truth is, I was reading on the internet famous pastors who were saying that you should never talk to the devil. You should never talk to the devil. And this, the interesting thing about that is, is that I was just getting ready to write down in my sermon notes, you need to talk to the devil. So how many of you talk to the devil? I, I do. I talk to the devil all the time. Not today, devil. Right. Not that. You're not taking that one, devil. So we, you know, and I, now, so is that something that we do or something that we shouldn't do? You know, he talks about how 
uh, this pastor, and there's a couple other pastors out there who said this, that you shouldn't talk to the devil because you're giving the devil too much credit. And I just differ with that because I think you have to come head on. At the enemy, you have to say, mm-mm, that's not going to happen. When the enemy says, hey, you need to go and you know, get into whatever sin, this one, that one, or the other one, you need to say, I say it out loud frequently, not me. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you don't start identifying the lies, eventually you start believing them. You know, so you have to identify, remind yourself, that's a lie. That, I don't have to be who I used to be. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am now. So, so anyway, so you, you have to do that. And, I, and I'll give you the reason why I think that. When Jesus was being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, he talked to the devil. He said, no, that's not how he, the devil came with, at something, with him at some, came at him with something. And Jesus immediately responded back, but the word says this, right? Three times the enemy came to him over a period of 40 days. Jesus is being tempted. Each time we know how he responded. He responded with the word of God, and he stuck it right back in the devil's face. He wasn't quoting the word of God to remind himself because Jesus knew the word of God. He was the word of God. So he knew the word of God. So it wasn't Jesus reminding himself, oh, the word says, no, that's not what he was doing. He was telling the devil, I know who I am. If you are the son of God, listen, I know who I am. I don't have to throw myself off the pinnacle of a temple. So, so Jesus spoke to the enemy. And, and then I start thinking about what he did. Jesus commanded unclean spirits, right? Get out, right? Well, what's he doing there? If his life is being lived as an example, I, he, you would think he would say, now listen to his, turn to his disciples and say, now don't you try this at home. That's not what he says. He never says that. In fact, he says, go out and into the world, right? And deliver people from demons. He says in Mark chapter 16, that's one of the things you'll be doing is delivering people from demons. So you need to go out there. So he commanded unclean spirits. He rebuked the devil. He cast out many devils. He suffered the devils not to speak. How does he do that? Shut up. And the demon starts talking to him. Shut up, he said to him. So, so Jesus was a devil-talking savior, right? He talked to the devil, right? And uh, now, so when we rebuke the enemy, and I believe he needs to be rebuked on many occasions, I think this is where it gets confusing because we sometimes do this. We start to pray. You know, we'll pray, oh, Lord, we're praying for Sister McGillicuddy that her fingernails will grow nice and long and beautiful. And, and then, all of a sudden, we get so angry at our enemy that we stop praying and we start yelling at the devil. So you've heard people pray like this. Lord, just heal this person of this thing. Devil, get off! Her. Now, now, just imagine if I was talking to Ron, I would say, hey, Ron, do you want to go off our breath? Gia, stop it! And then, she would be very confused. Now, I don't think the Lord's confused, but it's not the proper way. I understand that you need to speak to the devil. I believe that. But I don't think you should be doing that in your prayer. 
You know, and I've known people who would call the devil names, oh, Slewfoot and Slippery, whatever, you know, and, and uh, you know, whatever. And they call the devil names. You know, the scripture set, talks about, warns us about uh, slandering celestial spirits. And, and I th- think that's in Jude. And, and so th- there's, there's a danger in slandering celestial spirits. We shouldn't do that. But at the same time, we need to be able to rebuke. So don't rebuke when you're praying. Rebuke the enemy and then pray for the person. So if somebody comes up and they say, you know, this is my need, I have this need, and the enemy just keeps tempting me and I keep falling back in this temptation, then lay hands on them. Rebuke the spirit that's lying to them, that's filling their mind with all these temptations, trying to overwhelm them. I rebuke you. Shut up, Satan. You liar. You father of lies. You've always been a father of lies. I command you to leave this person alone and then pray. Father, separate, the, you know, separate those things so it's not so messy. So it doesn't seem like we're you know, double-minded, but we're, we're, we're praying when we should be praying and we're rebuking when we should rebuke. Get it? You see, understand what I'm saying? Yeah. How many of you have ever, I've raised my hand, how many of you have ever rebuked and prayed at the same time? I, I sometimes blur the lines between that. Yeah, it's like I just rebuke it and, and pray to Jesus. And, but it helps me to understand what I'm really doing if I look at it like this, right? So then, there, you know, the Word, the Holy Spirit, that puts strength in us. Teaching, the Scripture says in, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, it's an important verse. It says that we should gently instruct those who have been led astray and who have fallen into the trap of the devil. He didn't say yell at him. He didn't say blame him. He didn't say let them play the victim card. He said, gently instruct them so that they can see the way out and they can be obedient to the cause of Christ and they can walk in that way and they can, they can live in that direction, move that direction. And in so doing, they will no longer be ensnared or entrapped by the devil. Oh, that's another thing. He, he, I should have put that on the to-do list for the devil to ensnare and trap some people. Can you imagine? It must be exhausting to be the devil. You know, the, the devil isn't everywhere. If the devil's at my house, he's not at your house. If he's at your house, thank God, he's not at my house. He's not omniscient like God. He is limited. Now, he has underworking demons that can be, you know, some can be at your house, some can be at my house, some can be in church, some can be in the furnace, whatever. And so he has, he has these spirits that can be working against us. But we're not going toe-to-toe with you know, the accuser of the brethren, the dragon. We're not going toe-to-toe with him every time. So, but we can still call him Jesus. Remember Jesus when, when Peter started saying, uh, saying, Oh, Lord, this and get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus talked to the devil even when it was coming out of Peter's mouth. <laughs> I don't, don't do this. In, this is not good for your marriage if you... You know, if you Tell a wife, shut up in Jesus' name, you devil. No. Uh, that way, that could be dangerous. You, know, you may end up with the scissors in your chest when you wake up in the morning. But you, you need to recognize the demonic spirits that are coming, the lies that are coming. Jesus, you see, Jesus calls them out quick. Why did, why did even Jesus have to do that to Peter in Matthew 16? Why did he have to do that? Because he didn't want anybody else to fall into that line of thinking. And to be quite honest, he had to bolster his own thinking. He had to say, I recognize this for what it is. This is a lie. This is the enemy. So 
So the conclusion is we have to get strong in the Lord if we're going to deal with the enemy. And we have to deal with the enemy if we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. Yeah, Ben. No, that's fine. Yeah. So my thing is, you're saying allies. You know, talking allies. Yeah. Well, those guys weren't even saved. They were the seven sons of Sceva from the Book of Acts, and they were they were tried. They didn't have a relationship with Christ, and so when they tried to cast out the demon to set this person free, see, even the world knows people are messed up. You know, they may not agree with you casting the demon out of somebody, but they they. they they know that people are messed up. So these guys, they tried to use the name of Jesus because it was working. They saw it working in the lives of other believers. So other believers must have been talking to the devil. Oh, I guess that guy on the internet didn't know that, did he? Anyway, so, uh, so but, but what happens is the demons say, well, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but I don't know you. And then, then he whipped on him. So, so that shows that the, the knowledge of of our relationship with God living in us is going to protect us when we go after them. We don't have to fear that, you know. Right, right, apart from me. And so, yeah, we wouldn't want to ever do it in the flesh, but we wouldn't, you know, but if we're, if we're doing the work of God, then we would take that as the work of God, not as something that we, I, don't, I can't imagine uh, casting a demon out of somebody in my flesh, you know, it's just that, you know, I'd rather go out, if I'm going to be in my flesh, I'm going to go out doing fleshly stuff, you know. So, now go back to the passage of scripture that we, that we started this all with. He says, the son of man came to destroy the works of the devil. And then he says, people who live a certain way, they have an ethical understanding. See, the way we walk out our life, that determines whether we're of God or whether we're of the enemy. That's how we're known by, by to people around us. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the, that's the issue that we face is whether we, we can't be all talk. We have to be people who understand this, this reaction. And we can't be, you know, there's a lot of Christians who don't want to talk about the devil because they're like, oh, you don't you give him too much credit. No, it's not about giving him credit. You must know your enemy, you know. And, uh, and you have to know what, what the enemy looks like and what he does and what his tactics are in your life. Otherwise, he will, the scripture says, outwit us and dupe us by the schemes of the enemy. Amen. Amen. So let's go out and rebuke some demon. Not right now necessarily, but I mean, as we leave this place, we head into our life. But I mean, there's things, some of us are probably facing stuff. You know, difficult times. And recognize it for what it is. It's the enemy of our soul. So let's pray. Father, in the name of... Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today... Help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, 
contact us on our website, BerwinAG.org, or on social media at BerwinAG. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.